This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, let's get started. Many, many topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, pound 3636. In studio with us this afternoon, Stephen Holliday, Deputy Mayor and Counselor for Ward 3 at Tobacco Center. Stephen, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Always a pleasure to be here, and I'm ready to discuss those topics. Uh, worthy of discussion. Uh, David Will, Senior Vice President of Media Profile, a leading Toronto public relations agency. How's David? David is great. There has never been a better day for talk radio than today. Absolutely, and you guys are a party to that. Uh, so st- sit back and watch. <laughs> Peter Sherman joins us as well, broadcaster, businessman, and former Conservative MPP. How's the Shermanator? The Shermanator is great. Good afternoon to David. Good afternoon to Stephen, and most notably to you, John O'Keefe. All right. Here we go. Uh, by the way, uh, there's an update on a news story we had talked about yesterday as well as in hour one. Uh, John McCallum, the former Liberal MP from uh, up Markham Way and now China's uh, Canada's ambassador to China, has retracted the statements that he made in a press conference to Chinese media in Markham on Tuesday. He says he regrets making comments earlier this week that suggested Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive detained in the U.S. on a U.S. extradition request, detained in Canada rather, has a, a strong case and that her arrest was politically motivated. And so now there's a reversal where he says, I regret that my comments with respect to the legal proceedings of Ms. Meng have created confusion. I misspoke. These comments do not accurately represent my position on this issue. David Wills, I'll start with you. Was he just clearly taken to the woodshed on this one? Well, he misspoke for 40 minutes <laughs> in a press conference. <laughs> so there, like, there's some good records by politicians out there. That's got to be a new one. Um, I think that this did not play out the way that, you know, there, there's a thousand questions we all want answered on this. You know, did, you know, did the government know? Was this at the direction of? Was he freelancing? You know, nobody knows the answer. Those are the really interesting questions, of course. But the, you know, I misspoke. Misspoke is like you said, <laughs> million instead of billion, right? Like right. the, but, you know, this seemed pretty orchestrated to me. You know, there's a question: Why is the ambassador to China holding a press conference in Markham, Ontario? Let's well, start with that one. Well, first of all, it's his old stopping ground, and uh, it's and, where the Chinese there's a high concentration of Chinese people in that community, Chinese Canadians. Two, right. two swing ridings, <laughs> like you know, what, where like where do you go on this, right? Well, and there is that consideration as well. Uh, Stephen Holiday, you know, and this is what David alluded to, and I was wondering even in hour one, uh, was this all? orchestrated in a deviously brilliant Machiavellian thing uh, way because, uh, you know, when he's sort of the tip of the spear on this, he seeds this notion that maybe Meng has a good reason to avoid extradition, not least of which is Donald Trump having politicized things. That was one of his excuses. Uh, But perhaps more importantly, uh, Canada hasn't signed on to the U.S. sanctions that she's accused of trying to avoid. And so he said, I think she has some strong arguments that uh, she can make a case before a judge. That's not misspeaking per se. Those are awful crisp statements. And look, I'm a politician. Uh, Do politicians suffer from foot in mouth every now and then? It happens. Uh, You you can make mistakes. But this is a real big one. And I'm thinking, my gosh. So I guess the bigger issue I have is as a Canadian, as a citizen, I'm looking to my government for confidence in the work that they do. And I look to them um, for international relations and I expect diplomats and the government to be acting quite crisply. And for them to do an about-face on this or to see an about-face on this makes me worry a lot. And the fact that we're having the conversation, is there a broader thing going on here 
worries me as a Canadian. And so those are the things that we shouldn't be preoccupied with, yet we are. And uh, I hope they fix this in a real hurry. And um, I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in Mr. McCallum's shoes right now. It's almost like I've seen in The Godfather where, uh, you know, Frank Pentangeli's brother comes in from Sicily and that senator, once <laughs> he denies, Frank Pentangeli denies knowing, it. I'm going to find out what the hell just happened here. Uh, <laughs> Sherman, what do you think the hell just happened here? I think what the hell just happened here is John McCallum did what John McCallum has historically done. He runs off at the mouth. Um, he, he's... Um, basically mealy-mouthed and has been for many years, and I've watched it happen. And and that's why he's an ambassador as opposed to a cabinet minister. And the problem that we've had, and we would have been discussing uh, this very thing had you not brought in that late-breaking news, is are you the ambassador of China to Canada, or are you Canada's ambassador to China? Because given what you're doing, I'm not sure what it is you're trying to... He has a, a name, by the way, and, I, and I, I'm not going to say it, I can't pronounce it, uh, that they call him in China. He's a Chinese name. He, he loves China, and he's in, totally entitled to do that. But when it comes to our relationship with that country, or frankly our relationship to any country, our ambassador represents our country and our position. And given that uh, this has happened and he's walked this back, I would have to say that uh, the question question we might have been discussing, did this stuff come from the office of our Prime Minister, is no. What came from the office of the Prime Minister was, walk it back, John, or walk off the plank, which I think he should do anyway. Well, all right, uh, because I was going to ask that until we updated the file, but that name you're looking for, translated out of Chinese, I believe, says, friend of the little potato. Great. I was Mashed. wondering if you're going to go that he was he went all Fredo on us if we're going to go with the Godfather reference on this. Now he's don't speak against the family. I'm smart. <laughs> right. I just wanted something for me. Anyway, so there's your friend John McCallum. I guess uh, does he still retain his job because the opposition is calling for his dismissal, Peter Sherman? Absolutely not. I, I, this is one of those ones where uh, I'm sorry. You know, you've you've way more than crossed the line. We need somebody who is uh, 100%. I'm not suggesting that John McCallum's not loyal to Canada. That's not the issue. But we need somebody who represents Canada first, last, and always, and he didn't do it. Quickly, so Stephen. if it was Little Potato, is it now going to be Fr- French Fry is his new name? I don't know. <laughs> I think he's mashed. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> All kinds of potato humor flying yeah, around it's... the studio. Uh, does he keep his job? Um... I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I suspect he's going to have to be walking the plank if it, if it turns out there was a gaffe of this proportion uh, because the statement was so long and so crisp. David, if it's a gaffe, yes. If he was part of the team, no. So you still hold out that specter that maybe he actually uh, was doing this as part of a Machiavellian thing to uh, position the Liberals so they could wiggle off the hook and not have to extradite. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to take your your full Machiavellian uh, thing. But if this was a trial balloon that he was part of a, a team message on this thing, then no, he shouldn't lose his job because he was doing what he was told. But that's that's the unanswered question. I don't think we have enough information to speculate on it. You know, it was a orchestrated long press conference with just certain types of media invited. You know. We don't have to put our tinfoil hats on to get a conspiracy theory going on. Oh, hell, why not? <laughs> well, and the other thing is, if it's an orchestrated plan where there's a, a plausible uh, deniability here, it gives the liberals a lot of credit for actually being that deviously sharp. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so, and we don't want to do that. All right. Uh, let me move on to other matters. And uh, 
I guess I've got to ask where uh, Stephen Holliday, you as the uh, deputy mayor, uh, stand on this one because uh, housing has become an issue. Well, it's always been a festering issue in the city of Toronto, but now you've got uh, this plan, Housing Now, endorsed by the mayor, and uh, it's, I guess, going to be uh, put before council in the broader sense to incentivize developers to build 10,000-plus units on 11 city properties uh, by waiving development fees. Did you endorse this plan, by the way? Uh, The selection of the properties, yes, and it's interesting. Affordable housing is supported by... Uh, people across the political spectrum. It's viewed as one of those ways to get people into a situation where they're not going into um, um, community housing and they're not in situations where the rent is paid entirely by the government. These are situations where developers uh, find models where there's a reduced rent or a protected rent, and it's not necessarily done through a cash payment. It's, uh, It's done through a development deal at the outset. And uh, the models have been shown to work because you've got the private sector delivering the, the, for better or worse, it's not public housing, but the public benefit here. And so there's efficiencies in that. Uh, so those are things that I do support. Um, the things that I think we have to look closely at are the selection of sites. Where are they? Are these you know prime sites? Are they non-prime sites? Is the taxpayer getting the best deal out of this? Um, so far, things I've seen are, are positive and heading in the right direction. And I think the mayor is working pretty hard to try to solve some of the issues that we've got housing across the city without going to a complete socialism model where we've got the government doling out in more enormous amounts of money to support rent. All right. Uh but I wondered how this would square with those who are on the waiting list uh, for Toronto community housing. If you're going to have like a sub-market uh, rent uh, of $539 on a unit, uh, it sounds to me like, you know, uh, we also have, we have to prioritize the backlog of affordable housing in terms of Toronto community housing. Right. Two different issues, two different models, two different systems. But what I would say to those on the waiting list uh, for affordable housing is that uh, pardon me, for community housing, Toronto community housing, um, the affordable housing model is a gateway out of Toronto community housing. So if you're, if you're sitting in a, in a model where it's you know, extremely low rent uh, in Toronto community housing, this gives uh, a family that's working a chance to get into a different type of housing. Maybe they pay a little bit more rent. It's far more long-term in, in, in nature, multi-multi-year or decade are, are the type of uh, rent guarantees. And then that opens up a space for somebody that, uh, that needs that spot in Toronto community housing. All right. So they waive development fees. They say the package is about $280 million uh, that would entice developers, David, to uh, want to build 10,000-plus units, two-thirds of which would be, you know, for folks, uh, lower-income folk. Uh, that's the affordable thing. And then about a third would be condos, I guess, that the developer could sell at a profit, and that's the quid pro quo. Uh, that model work for you? You know, this is a, you know, I I don't think the mayor should be congratulated on this. I think it's a baby step. We have a city that's growing by 100,000 people a year. Um, You know, we have right now an estimated 7,800 people living in shelters because of the cold and other things. Housing's a complex problem, and and Stephen kind of highlighted that, that there's a couple of different systems. I think, you know, if you listen to what Jennifer Keysmat said in her campaign, you can do more with this approach if you're bolder. And this, you know, we dream small dreams in this city right now. Like if you look back to World War II, the federal government actually built 36,000 uh, homes in less than two years to, uh, to to provide homes for the soldiers coming back and their families because there was a housing crisis. We have one now. 
tinkering around the edges and giving incentives where developers may or may not do this and it's going to be over 12 years is not a bold plan. And I would really, really like somebody to take a bold step, take some of this city land and say, you know what, you can build here, but this is going to be your business model. It's going to be affordable. It's going to be affordable for decades and decades. And they'll know that business model and they will step up. And her plan was 100000 because you can do it. The developers will step up. Yep. Well, the, the only um, thing I would caution in all of this as we um, create more and more of these models and, and housing system and support systems is that it's unsustainable to expect the government to be in a position to make up the gap on affordability with houses. It's a really expensive t- a city to live in. Um, I think virtually every member of council wants to help people in, in a way um, in a way that works, in a way that's suitable. But um, as we progress down the line into larger and larger sweeps of this, where does that leave us in 10, 20, 30 years? Do we have you know half the population living in some sort of a support structure looking uh-huh. at the government? And, and I don't is, know if that's the right, right way to do it. Stephen, this is where I want to jump in with your permission, John. I, I've just put on my hip waders because you've got to slog through this stuff. And I was going to say... Uh, those very words. If if we were to be able to project ourselves 25 years into the future, I don't think we would find very much that's different. So on the one hand, I see what David is saying where he says, I don't congratulate the mayor because this is baby steps. Well, I do congratulate the mayor because this is baby steps. Um, you can never, ever get ahead of this. I'll tell you a personal story. I'm looking for accommodation in Toronto right now. I'm looking to lease. Only, uh, it, I'm not going to say at what level, but by, by comparison to the numbers I'm looking at their staggering levels, and there's nothing there either. The problem that we've got is a city that is not sustaining, um, in, in terms of building units, what it has to sustain to manage to accommodate everybody who wants accommodation. So the people who are going to get the hurt the most, obviously, are the people at the low end of the income scale. I think affordable housing and, and less of Toronto community housing is a good idea. If you could move that forward without having to be so concerned about expanding the police force or rebuilding roads or adding transit, all of the things that we have to do, which is what you, Stephen Holiday, and, and your uh, 24 compatriots have to, have to address every day in council, then, yeah, you could speed the thing up like crazy but this is going to have to come over time all right and uh, expanding the police force is one of those uh, segues that we're going to get into next with our panel topics worthy of discussion for pizzaville pound 3636 back in a moment with more on the oakley show global news radio 640 toronto thanks for listening to the john oakley show podcast be sure to rate review and subscribe for free at apple podcasts google podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio 